This podcast is brought to you by Alaska Air Cargo. You just can't ship seafood any fresher. Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we discuss the most interesting, compelling, and pressing seafood news of the day. I'm Drew Cherry, Editorial Director, and I am here with Executive Editor John Fiorillo. Hi, John. Hello. And I'm also joined by Senior Reporter Dominic Welling in London and Reporter Lola Navarro in London. Hi, Dom and Lola. Hello. Hello. Well, all right, we're going to hit on uh, a few topics today, starting with uh, some major developments in the feed sector. Um, Lola, maybe you can chat about it. It came up at SeaWeb. It came up uh, at Aquavision, where, where you attended in, uh, in Stavanger. Um, one of the most interesting things you wrote about was the idea that with all these new technologies – the big question that hasn't been answered is monetization. So just in your reporting and in discussing this with people, what, what was their impression on what it's going to take? Yeah, that was that was one of the main topics, how companies are now able to <clears throat> understand what's needed, but somehow all the players are not involved in this, so they don't find a way to actually justify the, the higher prices for sustainable feed ingredients. And... Well, obviously, there was a lot of of new uh, and there is a lot of new startups. Um, companies like Natreco are investing in them. They're they are getting involved in joint ventures and things like that. But somehow they haven't managed to actually justify the high prices, and that was uh, that was a very important um, <clears throat> and key topic. They were saying that the way to do it will be to kind of getting involved more people in the process like having a <clears throat> like a more thorough uh, um, kind of meetings with buyers and retailers and, and kind of bringing the people who have actually researched and come up with the solutions to explain why the costs are higher to explain what's being put into the feed and <clears throat> and how much research and how much tools and and, and new methods methods have been used to to create the new the new feed, and that way it will be possible to to convince uh, buyers to buy this kind of um, <clears throat> of sustainable feed in in feed ingredients. But yeah, that was just part of it. There was also a lot of talk a lot of talking about um, disease management through feed, and well, this was a uh, this was like you were saying. This was about in Aquavision, and it was also talked about in SeaWeb how how feed producers should be the ones kind of driving the change and and introducing a alternative feed ingredients and sustainable feed ingredients into the feed composition just just to to be able to yeah to produce feed that's that's actually going to help prevent disease, especially in warm water species. This was one of the main topics as well. Uh, Salmon wasn't that much of a focus on these two two events or two congresses. Uh, So, yeah, that that was interesting. It was good to see the progress made. Yeah, because there's been – you mentioned shrimp, uh, warm water species, um, and – 
it seems to me when you look at what we've covered over the past, uh, in particular over the past couple of years, that um, Scredding, uh, Cargill, Biomar, that they've put so much more attention on the shrimp sector than they have before. So it's interesting because Aquavision is traditionally being just so salmon focused. Um, so it sounds like they, you know, the the event and um, and uh, Nutreco slash Scredding's whole uh idea is that they're pivoting away from salmon a bit more which the the CEO Knut Nessa has been talking about that for a long long time um and he uh, is also surprisingly or maybe not we don't know exactly um what's behind it uh fully but um but he's he's stepping down um and you nabbed an interview with him uh while you're in Stavanger and w- what were his thoughts on the on the feed sector yeah, uh, yeah. Well, that was the impression I got that they were talking more about shrimp than than any other species. And yeah, I talked to Nasser. Uh, he was um, he was he was quite happy to have worked and to have made so much progress in the in the past six years as CEO of of Nutreco. He thought, or he said to me that um, he was very satisfied with with the achievements of the company in the feed sector. He was talking about about conversion ratio and he he was he was just saying that he hasn't seen <clears throat> as much growth as he would have liked to see in the shrimp sector in terms of of production and and in the salmon sector as well for the past six years and and he said to me that he thinks the the feed industry has a, a big role to play in this in this growth he expects more solutions to come for, like I was saying before, for uh, disease management. He thinks that's where the change is going to have to come from because at the moment, according to him, the, the biggest challenge in aquaculture is disease, both for, for shrimp and salmon. So uh, he was talking about the exciting <clears throat> opportunities that the feed industry has to, to come up with new solutions for offshore aquaculture, for <clears throat> also aquaculture in the fjords and and land based so yeah he was he was very satisfied with the progress that's been made and the milestones that scratching is <clears throat> that scratching uh, hit but yeah he said there were a lot of opportunities for the feed sector to to help aquaculture grow to the to the point that it has to grow in the future yeah it seems like the feed companies are taking a much larger role in kind of advocating the work that they're doing they've just been so much more prominent and together with all their acquisitions it just seems like um at least for for our coverage um you know that that we've just seen a lot of news from the feed industry in the in the past um i would say year in particular Mm -hmm. yeah and like you're saying the they're getting involved with a lot of more companies. I also had um, I also had an interview with the new CEO of Scratin, Teresa Lockberg, and she was talking about the different initiatives that Scratin is is getting involved in. They're they were saying that they've changed the way they invest now. They are not so much looking at companies to acquire them, but also to they're looking at startups that are coming up with new solutions that they wouldn't have thought of mm. as a fit manufacturer. But they can actually help them, um, <clears throat> uh, well, bring their products to it to a greater scale and, and actually market the product. So, Scratting has announced two new joint ventures in the past in the past three months. I would say, um, 
and it's all about uh, shrimp startups. One of them is for, for remote uh, control of the farms, and the other one is for disease control and, and prevention. And yeah, they said that they're getting involved in this, but in a new way, in a way that they are going to, to help smaller companies actually bring um, innovative solutions to the market. Yeah, that's interesting. And that'll definitely change, I think, the adaptations of these alternative ingredients as well. And the feed industry, I mean, if you go back to the beginning of kind of modern day aquaculture, they've really been the spearhead of the development of aquaculture in general. Um, so, you know, Nutreco used to own Marine Harvest and a lot of the development that happened uh, for that company uh, happened under, under Nutreco. Um, so yeah, so it'll be interesting to watch. Mm. Um, on the other hand, uh, speaking of ingredients, uh, the Peruvian anchovy fishery is, uh, the world's most important, uh, raw material provider, at least in terms of marine ingredients for the fish feed sector. Um, Dom, uh, give us a, a bit of a rundown on the, uh, the news of the potential EU ban on Peruvian fish oil and what it means, how serious it might be, and and uh, kind of uh, the reaction that you heard from from the industry members you talked to. Yeah, sure. Um, well, the, the important thing to say is that um, it only really concerns fish oil that's used for human consumption. Um, is that's the important bit. So uh, basically, the EU uh, did a audit of. Um, the whole Peruvian, uh, the production of Peruvian fishery products. So it covers a whole whole range of things, but importantly, yeah, like you say, the anchovy and the fish, the fish oil. Um, the issue is that for fish oil for human consumption has to be produced separately to fish oil for indirect human consumption, so fish feed, um, and that's in like separate plants or at least in separate plants. Um, and basically, I think the Peruvians do it by uh, a time. Uh, separation, which doesn't really comply with um, the EU rules. Um, so it's not that they've, well, it's all a bit unclear is what that was the main message I was getting from all the uh, people like IFO, uh, because this is just a draft report. <clears throat> it's not a, a definitive one. Um, and it doesn't mention anything like a ban. Um, but uh, yeah, various people were saying, telling me that at the, at the moment fish oil uh, imports for human consumption are banned, but others were not so clear on that. So at the moment, the urgency is for everyone to sort of sit down and get a proper grasp on what's going on is, is how I understood it. So, um, I mean, as of now, there's no uh, no concern about that impacting raw fish, not, uh, fish meal not for, or, or for aquaculture not production? Not for feed. The issue is, is the human aspect of it, that actually people consuming uh, the fish oil uh, directly. Um, so for fish feed, it doesn't really affect that. That's still okay, uh, but it's it's the human consumption side of it, which still isn't isn't small, but it's nowhere near the same size as the fish oil. Uh, sorry, the fish feed business. Yeah. Um, so I think the figures I was given, like rough figures, that twenty one percent of what's produced goes for human consumption, and the rest is for uh, fish feed. Wow, and and I mean. Yeah, and and that part of fish oil, that super refined uh, human consumption fish oil, is uh, a part of where the Peruvian producers make a lot of their money. Uh, isn't that correct? 
Well, that's it. Yeah. And also it, it raises the question of how EU companies that process it or manufacture it, what what their parts plays in all of this as well. Um, yeah, in terms of compliance. Um, so, yeah, but, I mean, it is very unclear about uh, whether things are actually banned at the moment. But um, yeah, it's definitely something worth watching, um, I think. Yeah. But yeah, I, th I think the Peruvian authorities are uh, on it. Like, I think they're clamping down pretty hard um, on trying to get people to comply with the EU, uh, their rules on it. So, All right. Yeah. Well, it looks like aquaculture maybe dodged a bullet on it, or at least for now. So, yeah. Um, keeping on you, Dom, another story that you just uh, reported um, <coughs> on the Vietnam Pangasia sector. It's been kind of interesting because it's just been, it seems like, circling the drain for several years after just kind of skyrocketing up through, I don't know, kind of the mid to late 2000s, um, and then kind of a victim of its own success, just massive production, and it's just become a pretty undesirable fish. But um, there appears to be, despite all the trade uh, issues in the in the states and some of its other problems, there appears to be this really rapidly growing market in China. Yeah, um, well, yeah, that's been the main story uh, surrounding Pangasius, well, at least this year. Um, I think in the first four months, um, so through April, um, it overtook the U.S. For Vietnam as the largest uh, country to import Pangasius. Oh, sorry, like the largest importer of Pangasius uh, from Vietnam, um, and it just apparently just keeps on keeps on growing. Um, obviously, China's huge, and they have like a, an insatiable demand for this this fish. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's recorded a nearly fifty percent year-on-year growth um, uh, in the latest six-month report uh, from Bassett. Um, so. Yeah, it's, and it's also and another interesting trend is that it's not, whereas previously it was mainly sort of headed and gutted um, fish, uh, butterfly cut products going into uh, food service. It's now uh, more value-added products, uh, fillets, um, and, it's, and it's also appearing in retail um, slowly, uh, is what I was told. Um, and then big companies like Alibaba and JD.com are also uh, pushing it. So it seems like it's just going to keep on growing and growing really yeah i mean that's yeah that's going to be a savior for that industry as well because obviously we've got um you know all kinds of of import hurdles and that's been kind of over the years right john there's been just loads of roadblocks put in front of pangasius here on the u.s market yeah and i you know frankly i mean i'm i'm happy to see them move to another market and have success because I think the the U.S. catfish suppliers, you know, targeted them and I think uh, Pangasius guys suffered um, for no reason, really, in this market. I mean, they Pangasius appeared on the uh, seafood consumption charts for the U.S. in 2009 for the first time and, you know, it climbed up pretty steadily. I I can't remember. It's hovered around five or six for a while. I, I'm really, I like the story because I was really glad to see them find another market, to be honest with you. And if, if they tap into that market fully, like it seems they're already selling online. And as Dom mentioned, you know, they have some 
unique products coming through, a little value adding and stuff like that. I, I mean, they won't, they won't need the U.S. after a while, which I'm sure would make them happy. Yeah. There is also concern, I think, of like an over reliance on one particular market as well. I, I remember hearing that a while ago that you can become too reliant on one single market, can't you? And then if that suddenly dries up for whatever reason. Then, well, uh, that's, yeah, that's the lesson the U.S. taught them. And they may, they may repeat it in China, but if I'm going to rely on a grow, a, a market in the future, I'm, I don't know, China seems like a pretty sure bet <laughs> to me. So Yeah, I guess, it, it, you know, one question, too, um, is going to be what might replace Pangasius uh, on, say, the U.S. market. Um, and the same issue, obviously, if China... Um, if we see a sharp decline in tilapia imports into the U.S., which is a much broader issue that we're going to be following really closely. But, um, you know, does that open up a window for Pollock products, um, other other Alaska products, for example, fish that haven't normally maybe been seen as sort of center of the plate uh, options? Um that that should be interesting to track. I mean, John, any thoughts on what might be able to fill that void and if Pollock has a shot there? Well, you, you would think it would. They're um, similar fish. Um, you can argue which one is, is better, but they're basically bland white fish that you can insert some sort of flavor into. I think they both have terrible names, <laughs> unfortunately, you know, but that didn't stop Pangasius from from growing so to speak but um yeah i don't know i mean trident is you know going to extreme lengths to really reposition pollock in the u.s market and i i think they're finding success so um that's you know that's a positive sign for pollock um you know the other ones pacific cod and those things i think their niches are pretty pretty well carved so it would seem to me just uh, that Pollock probably has the the best chance. Um, and then there's tilapia, you know, if, you know, no knowing what's going to happen with China, of course, but maybe tilapia can regain some of its luster in this market. Maybe there's an opening for it. I, I don't know. Great. Well, we'll be tracking it closely. Um, all right. That's it for this week. Uh, we will be back uh, next week with uh, a whole suite of other topics because the news just uh, has been rolling and rolling. Thanks, guys, for joining. Uh, just a quick self. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're welcome, Drew. <laughs> oh. Thank you for having us on this wonderful show of yours. Well, a, a quick, a quick, quick self-serving plug. Uh, we are going to be uh, hosting the London Seafood Investor Forum uh, in September and the Iceland Seafood Investor Forum in October. So uh, you can find more information about that on our site. And, of course, you can sign up for our newsletters and find us all over social media. Do us a favor. If you're listening on iTunes, rate us. It helps other people find us. And uh, you can also drop us an email at any time uh, with feedback or ideas, editorial at intrafish.com. All right. We'll talk to you next time.